You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. I'm Ralph Richardson, one of the elders here at Mill Creek, and just my pleasure to welcome you to see your your learning faces as you are here to listen to God's Word taught. If you're a first-time visitor, uh, we want you, uh, or a first-time attender, maybe even a regular attender, but this is just your first time, uh, we want you to know that this church preaches through God's Word. We are studying through First and Second Timothy. This morning we're into Second Timothy, the first chapter, and uh, I'll be reading from that. Uh, that'll be on page 935 as far as the chairback Bibles are concerned. And if you don't have a Bible in your home and would like to have one, we would offer that Bible as a gift to you to take home and to have in your home and to study and to learn. So I'm reading from second, the second letter of Paul to Timothy. It's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. Um, Hear the living word of the God. Uh, hear the living word of the Lord. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearance of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This is the word of the Lord, and it is true. Join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this teaching. I thank you for this church who desires to be steadfast in our roots, in your word, to teach well from your word. Lord, as we look ahead to the next year of 2024, and we consider the budget of this church, I pray that it wouldn't be just about money, but it would be about how do we serve? How do we use the gifts and the tithes that are given to be able to honor you and to serve you well here in this area of our state? Lord, as we go into these meetings, as we have our church forum coming up next Sunday, I would just pray for unity, that we would all be here as a church family, that we would be learners and that we would be celebrating you together in this Christmas time. Just guide and direct us. I pray that you will be with Jeremy this morning, that you will give him great clarity in his words. Thank you for his preparation for this sermon, that he has studied well, and that he will bring the meat of this passage to us so that we might use it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Dr. Ralph. Did you know that there are some 
credit cards out there that are so exclusive, regular folks like us don't have access to them. Did you know that? Credit cards so exclusive, regular folks like us don't have access to them. Well, I suppose I should say regular folks like me don't have access to them. Perhaps you're some anonymous private entrepreneur worth $67 billion, in which case you have access. I don't have access, um, but would love for you to consider a year-end donation to our church budget if you're that guy, so that gal. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's these credit cards out there that are so exclusive. And my, perhaps just mentioning credit cards, though, you just had an allergic reaction because you're like Dave Ramsey. You cut them up faster than you get them in the mail, and the idea of a credit card makes you feel bad. So let me rush to say I'm not advocating you need to have a credit card. In fact, let's just call it a debit card. Let's, there's an exclusive debit card out there that's so incredible um, that you should, uh, that, that mere mortals like us don't have access to them. And I nerded out on this for a little bit with Google and found out there is one card that most agree is like the card that rules them all. The, the, the one that is so exclusive, it costs 10 grand just to put in your application. Or rather, you don't apply. They actually, they'll call you if they want you to be part of their membership. And if you want to be part of the membership, when you sign up and say, yeah, make me a member, it's going to be 10 grand just to get your processing fee through there. Uh, get this, five, up to $500,000 minimum spent each year to keep your card active. It does come with some benefits, though. It does come with some benefits. Benefits include... Uh, annual membership to a high-end gym. They also comp you once a year, $1,000 to Saks Fifth Avenue. Doesn't feel like much of a comp when it costs 10 grand to get that thing, but whatever. Also, you get elite, diamond, platinum, whatever you call it, upgrades in all the hotels, all the airlines. Delta, Hilton, uh, when it's time to go fly, you would just immediately get the best place. That is a perk. That, the perk that I think sounds wonderful is the 24-7 concierge service. Because let's just pretend that in college you loved late night Chinese. And um, let's pretend that many nights when it gets late, you think, man, I just wish I could have some Hunan Chinese right now. And let's say you don't like spending $27 on DoorDash for them to come bring it to you, plus whatever the Chinese cost. You just have this benefit from the card that rules them all. You call them 24-7 concierge service. My pleasure. They'll bring it to you. You know what this card's called? It's a real thing. Found out. There's a card that offers all of this. It is the Centurion card from American Express. Here's a picture of it. So I'm pretty sure none of us have it. Or if you flash it, we are sending you that letter for end of your giving. <laughs> All right, so beware. Beware. Uh, real talk, when I, I, I have a credit card, I pay it off at the end of every month because high interest rate's a bad idea. If you've maxed out credit cards, I'm not suggesting you get another credit card. That's bad financial planning to give all your money on high interest rates. But they asked me the other day, uh, or not the other day, but before, what color do you want your credit card to be? And I just made it black because I was trying to be pretend, you know, pretend like I'm in the, oh, it's a black card. Do you see what I have? But uh, if you look up on YouTube, you can find some rappers rapping about this card. Also not advocating those rap songs, just giving you some information. <laughs> 
Imagine with me, you get to Christmas morning, Merry Christmas, and there in your stocking, American Express has provided you registration-free, no minimum spending limits. They have given you a centurion card. You open up, you go, wow! Or maybe your spouse knows somebody who knows somebody at American Express, so they give you a card, your name's on it, and you have access to all of these benefits. Okay, pretend with me. That's your Christmas present. Merry Christmas. You can get Chinese delivered to you whenever you want and not pay $27 to DoorDash. You've got that card, and you put it in your wallet, or you put it in your purse, or you put it on the back of your phone like some people do, and you've got it with you, but pretend with me, despite having the Centurion card from American Express, you never use it. If you had friends... If you had family, folks who'd heard this sermon, and they saw you with that card, and when you had to fly once a year, when you have to fly, you decided, I am not upgrading my seat. I am going to sit economy because I like my knees in my ears, and I love it when they put their chair back, so I'm especially good. I love that seat. I'm not upgrading. No thanks. I'm not using it. What would your friends or family say to you if Late at night when you decided you wanted some Chinese, you didn't use the card, you actually just used DoorDash so you could spend $27 for delivery on top of whatever it costs. What would your friends say to you? What would your family say to you? I have two brothers. They would say to me, Jeremy, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. Why don't you use... Why don't you use the very benefits that are available to you from the card? In fact, my brothers would want to try it out and say, hey, can we just do this a little bit? Let's just see how fancy this concierge service is. Because the benefits are powerful, and there's so much it can do for you. Well, as silly as it might seem to have the centurion card and not use its benefits, this morning in our text, we find Paul. The Apostle Paul explaining to Timothy, Timothy, you have something so great and significant in your possession, but you're not using it. For Timothy, it's not that he has a centurion card. In fact, the centurion card can't hold a candle to what Paul is wanting Timothy to realize he has in his possession. Timothy, you have something so powerful you have something so significant, and you need to use it. And here's, here's why this matters for Timothy. If you were here last week, we kicked off this sermon series. Timothy is like a boxer in a heavyweight fight. And he is between rounds, and he is tired. Perhaps he started off as an idealist preacher, and he thought, I'm fixing on changing the world by preaching about Jesus, and he got in the fight, and he's taking some haymakers from the false teachers he's fighting. He's fighting solo, and he's got these people who are beating him up something fierce. So Timothy, between rounds, is sitting on his stool, and he's breathing heavy, and he's bleeding, and he's perhaps wondering, why do I feel like I'm losing? I thought Jesus won. Why am I getting my tail kicked here? And Timothy probably feels lonely because his corner man, that guy who's supposed to coach up the boxer and give him, hey, come on, you got this. Give him some water, wipe off that blood. That, that, that corner man who's, who's supposed to help his fighter know this is what you do. This is how you get it back in the fight is in prison. Paul's in prison. So he has to write a letter. He has to write a letter to Timothy 
So Timothy, between rounds, gets out this letter, and he's got to hear from Paul, this is what it's going to take to get back in that fight. Last week, we considered that even though Timothy felt lonely, he had people in his corner, his grandma, his mom, he's got Paul. Jesus Christ was in Timothy's corner, and that's motivational. And we, we considered last week how you, if you're a Christian, even though you may feel lonely in your fight, you've got people in your corner, you've got people who shared the gospel with you, you've got people who prayed for you, people who taught you how to read the Bible, they're in your corner, and they're cheering you on even if you don't see them every day. Talk to them every day, even if they've passed. There's a great cloud of witnesses. So we saw last week we carry on the fight by remembering spiritual heritage. This week we realized that we have to carry on the fight by recognizing our gigantic salvation and the benefit it brings. And that right there is Paul's second encouragement to Timothy to get him to fight. This is the sermon in a sentence. Carry on the fight, Timothy, by recognizing your gigantic salvation and the benefits it brings. And what I want to do with the rest of our time I want to open up God's word. I want to show you from these verses how this is Paul's message. If you're, if you're new with us this morning, the way we do preaching is we take God's word, we take it section by section, and we just try to say from the pulpit what the author is saying in the text, and that's what we're doing. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open? Would you open? If you don't have a Bible, grab one in the chair backs. Find 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're in verses 8 to 12. I'm going to begin in verse 9. Promise I'm going to get back to verse 8. Here is our first big idea. Here is the gift. If you're taking notes, write this down. The incredible gift Paul is explaining to Timothy is salvation. It's salvation. This is the incredible gift. Look with me at verse 9. Paul says, There is an inseparable relationship, Timothy, between your salvation, he saved us, and your holy calling. You are saved and called to a holy calling. Well, what, what Paul wants Timothy to know is there is this thing that God has done for you, saved you, and it connects to what you do in life, your vocation. You could say it like this. There's a relationship between salvation and vocation. Helping us see that salvation, from Paul's point of view, isn't some little blip on his timeline. See, here, here, here's, a, here's a challenge, I think. For many of us, salvation gets so stringed. It gets so flattened. Perhaps not here at Mill Creek, but in our moment, I think a lot of people think about their salvation the way they think about junior year student council. Hey, tell me a little bit about your timeline. Uh, junior year, I was in student council. Uh, senior year, I was in journalism class. I became a Christian. Then I went off to my next steps. And that is not how Paul sees salvation. Salvation is not some little blip that gets compartmentalized and put in this little corner of Timothy's heart. Rather, from Paul, he's saying, this is totally connected to your holy calling, your vocation. And it's not just for Timothy. Do you notice he uses the plural? God saved us and called us to a holy calling. Now, this is nothing for Timothy to be arrogant about. Middle of verse 9, 
It's not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So, so salvation is not a result of anything Timothy has done, but Paul wants Timothy to understand salvation is all about God's purpose and it's because of God's grace. And it is far greater than one little moment in time. In fact, salvation, look at the end of verse 9. Look there. Look where salvation started. Which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Are you? Did you see what I just read? <laughs> All right. Before the ages began, meaning salvation didn't happen right after junior year student council or senior year journalism class. Salvation didn't just begin, Timothy, when your grandma and your mom shared the gospel with you. Salvation began in eternity past. In case you forgot to brush up on your theology of eternal timeline, Christians believe in eternity past, which is before Genesis 1, when God spoke creation into existence. Okay? Before earth was here, before dirt and water, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever ago, way back then, Somehow, in the mystery of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they decided to save Timothy way back then. All the way back. This eternity past is connected then for Timothy so that Timothy would know your job in this boxing ring is not about this small blip on your timeline, Timothy. As Timothy is hunkered down in his corner sitting on his stool, Paul's giving this encouragement like a corner man, wanting Timothy to realize, buddy, this fight is so much bigger than you. It's so much bigger than this moment. God called you in eternity past that you would be all about this work. And so for Timothy, salvation was not to be flattened to merely praying a prayer. Instead, it is incredible and magnificent. And there's more. Look at verse 10. This salvation has now been manifested. Kids, that's a fancy word for um, the salvation has now been demonstrated. Or we now see this salvation as our Savior, Jesus Christ, abolished death and brought life and immortality. Would you say, uh, on the count of three, would you say the word immortality on the count of three? One, two, three. Immortality. All right. If eternity past points this way, would you like to take a guess where immortality points? <laughs> We're going this way now. Now, I know I have a tendency to get a little bit excited, but I think it's worth getting excited about. Okay? Okay? Because Timothy is feeling wicked lonely. And he's feeling wondering, man, do I have what it takes to get back in the fight? And here's Paul writing to him from jail. Paul's in jail. Paul's getting ready to die. And Paul's saying, my man, you've got to know this thing started way back then. And this thing's going to keep going way long after you're gone. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Bless the Lord. This thing is so much bigger. Eternity future. 
Paul's saying, Timothy, your salvation is cosmic in scale. And salvation has far greater significance in your life than you're probably realizing. It goes all the way before. It goes all the way to forever. And this then is the consequence for Paul saying, this is what I've become a preacher, apostle, and teacher for. This is what I'm out doing, man. This is how my whole life works. I'm trying to tell people about how the gospel is the uniting central feature of all of God's word. It goes all the way back there. It's going all the way to forever. And for Paul, this answers all of life's biggest questions. Philosophers, as far back as we have records, have been asking these questions, who am I? Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? As long as we have records, historians have told us that we have folks who are asking, what is the purpose of life? And who here hasn't wondered? Like, what's the point? I know we don't like to talk about it. We like to be more worried about our comfort or, 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 or consuming, and we try to numb ourselves with modern conveniences, but these are the questions that haunt us. And for Paul, he's got all the answers here. Paul's got it all here. Timothy, in a word, salvation. That's what everything's about. It gets us all the way to where do we come from. It tells us what's our purpose here, and it tells us where we're going. Salvation answers everything, and what a gift this would be to Timothy to realize salvation is so much bigger than I realized. Salvation for Timothy isn't some small blip on the timeline. This is an encouragement for Timothy. That's the part, that, that's, that's Paul's heart here. I'm convinced. Paul, like a good corner man, is wanting to encourage his fighter. You carry on. You don't quit. You're not quitting today, bro. You're getting back in that fight. And I think it's an encouragement for Timothy. I think it's an encouragement for us. Because far too often in our cultural moment here in 2023, what we think what, what we get told is actually going to help us out is consume more, get more comfortable. And when we, try to, when we try to align salvation with the message of our culture, we get confused and we begin to shrink salvation to this small little thing that we're trying to, like a puzzle, piece together with, but I should feel comfortable and I should feel happy and Whatever's true in my heart should be manifested in my day, right? We flatten salvation and we think of our faith in Christ like we do junior year student council. If you're here and you're a Christian, your salvation didn't start when your grandma told you the gospel that one time. If you're here and you're a Christian, that thing originated in eternity past. Amen. That gives me goosebumps. Yeah. And that salvation is still going to carry you into eternity future. It's so much bigger for us. And that helps us then today when you go, okay, but how does that, how does that matter for today? What Paul's saying is, your salvation has connected to your vocation. Or we could quote Ephesians 2.10 where Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right? 
Timothy's a pastor in the church of Ephesus. I just cross-referenced the letter that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus in which he's saying, oh, by the way, Christian, if you're alive today, this applies to us. If you're a Christian today, God has good works for you to do. He has good works for you to do. Well, when did he, when did he think of those? Uh, text says, in eternity past, way back there too. And they're having a good, the Trinity had a little retreat. They got a whiteboard out and they said, hey, what are some of the good works that we want Pastor Jeremy to have to do on this week of 2023 in December? I don't know what's all there, but by God's grace, I want to walk in them. And God wants you to walk in them too. This salvation piece is massive. Our salvation is gigantic. That's what, I, that's what I'd love for you to write down here. Our salvation is gigantic. Your life is not your own. If you're a Christian, your life is not your own. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Let's do them. Let's not sit on a stool because we got a little blood on our lip because we got punched in the face by the culture. Let's carry on our fight. I don't know the fight that God designed for you. I don't know the challenges and the difficulties you're going to face. But, but because your salvation is so gigantic, please don't sit on a stool through the next round. We would be as foolish as some person with a black American Express leaving it in their wallet to leave our salvation as some little blip on our timeline. This is the gift. This is what you have if you have Christ. It's so much bigger than you may have realized, and it is worth orienting your entire life around. And with this gift of salvation, you get two benefits. And that's where Paul goes next. You have two benefits. So what's the gift? It's salvation. Move with me to our second big idea. Here is the benefit that Paul first is talking about. It is suffering. Man, I was hoping pastor would tell me today that I was going to get a benefit from gospel salvation. And I was hoping he would call me to suffering said no one ever. <laughs> Let me show you from the text. I'm not making it up. Verse 8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Here's what Paul wants to make sure Timothy gets. Timothy, if you're sitting in the corner and you're feeling like, I'm suffering, know this. That's par for course. That's golf metaphor, par for course. That's, that's what you would expect to use running metaphor. If you're going to run this path of Christianity, suffering is part of the path. I mean, who's our great hero, church? Who's our great hero? Christ. Christ is our hero. How did his path go? It's not straight to glory. Oh, if I could push a button and make it so, I'd, I'd, actually I'd go from comfort to glory. That's the way I would have written it. First, I'd like a lot of comfort, and then I'd like to hit the glory. Thank you. No, no. The path for Christ, it's suffering and then glory. Think about Paul's model. What happens to Paul? It's suffering and then it's glory. This is our path. This is what Paul wants him to understand. Look, man, suffering is part of this life. If 2 Timothy was a musical song, if Paul had written sheet music, the chord of suffering would not sound good to our ears 
but it would be all over the song. It would be all over the song. In case you're here and you're thinking, man, you're making a big deal out of one little small subsection of 2 Timothy, consider 2 Timothy 2.3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. We'll hit that text in two weeks. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.9. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. That's Paul. 2 Timothy 4.5, as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. See, I think the suffering might have left Timothy distracted, and I think it distracts a lot of us. I think we wonder, wait, whoa, time out. Suffering comes along with this thing? I, th I was in for cruise ship Christianity. That's what I'd like. No, this is suffering Christianity. Paul's striving to ensure Timothy realizes not only is suffering common, but it's actually a great benefit. In fact, look at the beginning of verse 12. Look how Paul uses his own suffering as an example for Timothy to follow. Paul's saying, here's why I suffer, because I'm a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. That's why I suffer. So Timothy, if you're going to follow in my footsteps as a preacher and teacher, you will suffer too. For us then. We, like Timothy, need to broaden our understanding of Christian suffering so that we can appreciate what a blessing suffering is. See, maybe you're there thinking, bro, you had too many candy canes last week when you were writing this sermon whenever you did. I'm going to buy you some marbles for Christmas because you've clearly lost your marbles, my man. I, let me go on the record. I don't like suffering either, okay? Okay? If, 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 if you pump me full of truth serum and put me on a polygraph lie detector test, I would like to get upgraded when I go fly economy. All right? If somebody wants to gift me the black centurion card for Christmas, I'd be happy to use it for Chinese. I don't like it either in my flesh. But what we got to get, church, we got to get this. Especially since so many of us are middle class Johnson County. Middle class Johnson County. Christianity on this side of eternity does not avoid suffering or persecution. Prior to the eternity with Christ coming in the new heavens and new earth, Christians on this side, we don't avoid suffering or persecution. Life isn't about how comfortable we can be and put some Jesus on it. Stott, commentator, he says it so well. Let me read you this quote. The gospel of Christ crucified is folly to some, and a stumbling block to others. That's straight out of 1 Corinthians one twenty-three. It's folly to some, a stumbling block to others, and always arouses opposition. And opposing the message, men naturally oppose its messengers, who thus suffer with the suffering gospel. And just in case you think, well, that's Paul, that's Timothy, and that's you, pastor. No, no, all of us are to be gospel messengers. All of us are called to share God's gospel, and we should not be surprised. Our message is a suffering gospel, a suffering king, and as its message, we will suffer for it. What I'm trying to help us realize then is that as Paul writes this, he is suffering. He's getting ready to lay his life down, and he is calling Timothy to endure. Timothy, persevere through this suffering 
And we got to understand this is consistent with all of Scripture. And this then is the expectation. God's chosen people suffer. So let us guard ourselves from being disoriented. It breaks my heart to think some of the ways you right now are actively suffering. Some of you have shared prayer requests with us and we are praying with you and the experiences you are walking through are hard and they're difficult. Some of you are suffering mentally and psychologically and some of you are suffering relationally and maritally. Some of you are suffering with your kids or extended family. Some of you are suffering at work or some of you are suffering with sicknesses and it's really difficult and you can have a tendency to wonder, is this the good life? But Jesus came that they may have life and life to the full. What is this suffering thing? We push against the cultural values of comfort and consumerism and we reject the idea that the Bible is actually a spiritual version of the black American express card. And I'm guilty too, man. This is not a means to, get a catalog, to, to fulfill our catalog of desires on this side of eternity. Let me say it like this. Jesus is not a means to giving us what we really want. Jesus is the end. Jesus is the end. We get Jesus. We suffer, we get Jesus. Here then is how suffering is a gift. It helps us remember, this is not your home. This is not your home. Like that desire in you that thinks, man, if I could just have this, if, if only this part of my relationship would click in, oh, if only I could add this little thing to my life or that little thing, or if I only could add a couple extra zeros to my bank account, or if I only had a few more friends, if I only could have this kind of a kid or have this kind of a spouse, if I could only get married at this time, all those things, you're, you don't have peace in your heart because this is not your home. We are made for another place. And suffering blows up our false idolatry. It reminds us we are sojourners and exiles on our way to a new city. New heavens and new earth. Sojourners. We're just passing through. Sojourn, what a great name for a church. (laughs) Just reminding us every week. We're just passing through. If you're new with us, you might... Not know that the new church plant in Gardner that's starting this next year is named Sojourn. And I love that name. And I didn't think of that name, but I love it. And if you live close to Gardner, we may be encouraging you to join that core team. But it just reminds us, this is not our home. We are aliens and strangers. Listen to how the author of Hebrews uses this idea to point us to eternity. Hebrews eleven thirteen, Some died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Dear friends, if if, if you're living in Johnson County and your life in Johnson County is so wonderful and beautiful that you wouldn't trade it for the heavenly country, you have missed the forest through the trees. And actually a gift to you is that you would suffer so that you could know this is not your home. Suffering is as related to our faith as we are biologically related 
to our mom and dad. Suffering is as related to our faith as our mom and dad are related to us. Here then is the great benefit from the cosmic-sized gospel. We get to suffer. The second benefit that Paul wants Timothy to get, it is our final and shortest point. The second incredible benefit we get is no shame. If you're taking notes, would you write that down? No shame. This, this is where Paul brings everything together. Look at the beginning of verse 8. Paul says, therefore, do not be ashamed. Do you see that? Therefore, do not be ashamed. That's the way he starts this passage. And then look at the bookend, verse 12. But I am not ashamed. Timothy, don't you be ashamed because I'm not ashamed. I know who I believed and I'm convinced he's able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to me. Timothy, no shame for you, no shame for me. See, Timothy was not to reject his corner man, Paul. In, in, in Paul's understanding, if Timothy on his stool between rounds was to say, forget you, Paul, I want a new corner man. I'm rejecting Paul like others had done in that church. To reject Paul was to reject his gospel as well. And Paul knows. Timothy's probably feeling a little bit of shame. He's tempted to feel shame. Tempted to feel shame because his corner man's locked up and in the clink. What kind of corner man you got, Timothy? He's in jail, dude. Come on. Timothy, what kind of salvation faith can you preach? Your dad's Greek. You're not even a thoroughbred Jew, bro. But Timothy had no reason for shame. Because he had the right spiritual ancestry. He had the true faith. And Timothy need not be ashamed of Christ's death on the cross. Timothy need not be ashamed of Christ's minister. Paul, Paul saying, look, buddy, you don't need to be embarrassed or dishonored by anything. Suffering, yes. Shame, no. Now, I know this point is quick, but what's true for Timothy is true for us. Just like if you were going to go watch a football game and your team was the visiting team and then you walked in the stadium with the wrong colors on, if you ever do that, don't you walk into your team's away game wearing their colors, but then hang your head and shoulders and pretend like, I know I'm an idiot, never mind me. Yeah, I woke up this morning, forgot the right colors to put on, that's why I'm here. People start heckling you because you put on the wrong color. No way, that's not how you cheer for your team. You're a Chiefs fan and you go to an away game, shoulders back, head up, that's my team. K-State fan, you walk into Jayhawk country, you wear that purple. Let them know. So it is for Christians today. We are surrounded by people who root against us. That's our life. And we wish they would wear the gospel colors. We wish they were washed in the blood of Christ. We wish more of our neighbors would be on the same team that we're on, trying to see more come to saving faith. We wish more people at our offices would be about Jesus Christ. But our response cannot be shameful. Instead, we put our head up, shoulders back, because we have no reason to be ashamed. We stand for Jesus Christ, and we stand with Christ's people, and we will not reject either. Amen. So here's what this means. Just like for Timothy, you stand with Paul, you stand with God's people, you stand with God's gospel. Friend, 
Friend, if somebody at your work comes at you, if somebody in your neighborhood comes at you, if someone in your family comes at you and says, oh, you don't believe that stupid gospel, do you? No shame. Of course that's what I believe. I do believe Christ's death for sins is what, is what the entire Bible's about, what all of life is about. It does answer all the important questions. Or if somebody comes at you because you stand with Christian people, if you're a Mill Creek member and somebody says, oh, you're not one of those Mill Creek bigots, are you? You're not one of those people who actually believes God's word's true. You're not one of those people who hates people because you're not allowing them to decide who they are in their own heart and then you're telling them they have to repent of sin. You're not one of those people, are you? Yes, I am. No shame. We stand with Christ. We stand with Christ's people. Amen. Love for you to write this last point down. Reject any shame. Reject any shame. We are not arrogant. <laughs> We're not wearing gospel colors, walking into the way game, and picking fights, okay? <laughs> you wouldn't do that at a football game. We don't do that here. We're not, we're not arrogant throwing haymakers at, at people, but we, we aren't ashamed either. We understand the gigantic cosmic salvation Christ has given us. We know suffering is a part of it, but we take it without Shame because Christ really has come and abolished death. He really did. Christ really did kick Satan in the face when he came out of the tomb. And one day, what's really true will be seen by everyone. Friends, Philippians tells us every knee will bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The question is, when will you first do that? If you're here and you're not a Christian, do it today. You will do that someday. You're going to profess Jesus as Lord, but if you wait till that day, it'll be too late. Eternal conscious suffering is for those who reject the gospel. Don't do it. Repent today. Christ really did live. He really did die. He really did come back from life. He really is right now reigning at the right hand of God. And he's advocating for you, Christian. He's praying that you would suffer well. You would reject any shame. And one day when you face judgment, one day when you face judgment, he will validate every suffering punch that you took. Isn't that a sweet gift? All of the ways that you have been hurt or mocked or teased for all the ways that you stood for Christ and suffered for him. He sees it all and he is going to look at you for taking that suffering and he's going to say, man, well done. Amen. It's worth it. Reject the shame. Friend, this is what was going to get Timothy, the second reason to get Timothy off his stool and to back in the fight, to carry on the fight. It's what gets Timothy back in the game. For any of us here, this is what gets you back in the game as well. That's what gets us back in the fight. Carry on the fight by remembering the gigantic salvation that you've been given and the incredible benefits that are for you because of this gospel. Friends, someday, holders of the Centurion card from American Express, if they don't have Christ, someday they would have wished to trade that card and any bank account number they have for the gift that we have as Christians. Do not underestimate the gift you have as salvation. It is the most incredible and gigantic gift you could ever have in your life. Non-Christians, if you don't have it, get it.
There is no credit card fee. There's no high interest rate. Christ's salvation is offered to you right now, free of charge. All you have to do is accept by faith. Repent of your sins. He would save you. It'd be a miracle, and I'd like you to pray with me now that God would accomplish this miracle. Lord, we need you. Grateful for your word. Grateful for your power. Grateful for salvation that goes all the way to eternity past, all the way to eternity future. And in this moment then, would you encourage Christians who walked in tired, suffering, struggling to persevere, give them what they need to carry on in the fight. Lord, for those here who aren't Christian, would you save? Even now, Holy Spirit, breathe life. God, for those who are Christians, but they are struggling They are doubting, would you give assurance of salvation? Thank you, Christ. Accomplish this. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.